Praise God. Please take your Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Good to see all you guys. And welcome for all of our live stream uh, brothers and sisters. Praise God for you guys. You guys are awesome. We have so many people in the live stream audience that just love the Lord and are so like-minded and love the Word. Let's go to 1 Timothy 2, 8, 9. Let's read the authoritative Word of God. What does the Lord, does the Lord have for us? And we've been going through this book and we're going to be looking at verse 8 and also uh, verse 9 uh, this evening. Uh, and then, well, we looked at verse 8, I should say. We're going to be looking at verse 9 and verse 10 uh, this evening. And we're going to look at the context a little bit too because I think that is warranted. Uh, and this passage, you would think, would be just kind of straightforward. Uh, but there's a lot of controversy in regard to the, a lot of things in Timothy, actually. And, there, and the controversy... Uh, that arises can actually be something that causes us to honker down and really study something and, and get more out of it in a lot of ways as well. So uh, in verse 9, he says, Likewise, now he's addressing uh, men specifically about there was application to women in the, the verse right before this where he says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. But now you look at verse 9, now he addresses the women. And both groups were being dis a, a distraction. So when you know what's going on, you want to know what the text says, what's going on in the text, what God is communicating to us, helps to know some background often of a specific text in Scripture so we can get more out of it. He says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls and costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Now, uh, a lot of people take this passage and say you can never wear jewelry, you can never, you know, braid your hair, you can never, and there's churches that go to the extreme and groups that say you can never, you know, uh, do those things, wear jewelry or uh, any costly garments ever or braid your hair. Uh, there's others who go to the other extreme and say, hey, you know what, uh, we're totally free in Christ, therefore, you know, we can do whatever we want, we can wear whatever we want, and it's nobody's business but ours and well, that's, uh, those are two extremes. And by the time this message is over, I think you'll recognize that to a degree. There's an emphasis on, over, there's on overemphasizing dress, for sure. Now, there's others who kind of dismiss this passage, say it's a cultural thing, <laughs> which they do with a lot of scriptures. You know, They do that on homosexuality. They do that with women pastors, which is, by the way, the verse 11 and following, which we'll be into, you know, Lord willing, next week, uh, which is going to be a really important message, especially because where the church is right now. So uh, it's just a cultural thing. We can pretty much dismiss it for, as it, you know, for our culture today. Uh, there's two extremes, and some might be thinking, wait a minute, he just said, you know, braiding hair and so forth, they put it in a, a negative light. So man, we shouldn't even, no one, women, women should ever braid their hair. Now, you know, whenever you're going to preach this message, you wonder if someone's going to show up, and they just got their hair decked out, and they're all braided up, and you're like, oh man, you just feel, you know... <laughs> <laughs> is that what he's saying, though, is that you can never braid your hair? Uh, well, we're going to be looking at that, but what is he saying? So sometimes people will say, hey, he doesn't mean this, but then they'll never get to what he's saying either. He is saying something here. God is, by his power of his Holy Spirit, through Paul, instructing the church. Now, let's get some of the context down there, down right now, because there was definitely a uh, distractions going on in the early church at the church at Ephesus there that Paul is addressing Timothy to deal with. Uh, 
Ephesus was a very, there were a lot of rich folks there who dressed very richly and had all the extravaganza going on and everything, and the church was being influenced by, uh, it was a very highly sexualized city with the worship of Artemis, and, uh, which we won't get in depth into right now, but a lot of uh, paganism and, you know, um, just crazy. But what's the context? Verse 8, remember when he said he wants men, you know, when they're praying to lift their hands everywhere, right, where they pray? And uh, that would at least mean the churches throughout Ephesus, which he's addressing Timothy, who in the church was more united back then. So if you had like four or five different house churches in Ephesus or 10 or 12, uh, they all pretty much belonged to each other and they recognized there was great unity. Uh, but it's interesting, and I believe, you know, I, I apply that to my life. Wherever I'm at, you know, I can lift my hands and pray, you know, and seek the Lord, you know. But he says at the end of verse 8, without what? Wrath and dissension. So evidently, even in the prayer meetings, there was wrath and dissension, unforgiveness, disagreements, people just upset with each other, maybe some yelling matches uh, or whatever, and then they'd be praying and people get upset and, you know, we don't know exactly what that looked like, but he is addressing a, what would obviously be a distraction because what he's writing about in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he's talking about, goes on to say, these are the instructions for what it's supposed to look like in the church, which is the pillar, you know, uh, and so forth of the truth. So we're addressing the context is when a sister comes to church, you know, what happens in the churches, uh, there should be, you know, they should be dressed modestly because just like fighting is a distraction, so, uh, you know, the way someone dresses can be a huge distraction. And I think that's important that we understand that. Now, I think everybody understands that, right? If a woman walked in here with a thong, right, it would be a distraction, Amen? Amen? Okay. I know that's not happening. If someone's come, I don't apologize. You should not have done that, <laughs> you know? Sisters, take her away, put a robe over her, you know? So uh, at the same time, there's appropriate way to dress at the beach maybe, perhaps, or when you go swimming, right? Uh, you probably aren't going to be dressing in a suit with a tie and go off the diving board. That would probably be inappropriate, you know? And that probably might be a distraction to people. You know, more than if you were just dressed in a, you know. But that doesn't mean there aren't bathing suits that are more modest than there are others. Amen to that? Hence the thong, you know. So, but we want to, I want to get into this because uh, in verse 9, let's try to break this down a little bit. Likewise, meaning just like he encouraged the men to pray without wrath and ascension and not be a distraction and, and not have a wrong heart before God, he wants the women to make sure that their hearts are right before God because this is, this is more about the heart and the dress is a manifestation of the heart. Just as the wrath and dissension is a manifestation of a man's heart in prayer who's praying with a, 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 an angry heart. So a woman, she has to watch her heart. But this word adorn is interesting. And the Lord is not against all jewelry or jewelry. He's not against, uh, I can show you in scripture, you know. Uh, the prodigal son, his father gave him a ring, Right? I can show you that the bride of Solomon was decked out in beauty, and it's a picture of the bride of Christ. In fact, the same Greek word adorn is, is used in Revelation 21.2 of New Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, which is filled with God's people, the bride. And it says that same Greek word, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned, same Greek word, for her husband. Verse 19, the foundation stones of the city were 
uh, adorned with every kind of precious stone. And then we went through that recently in the book of Revelation. So I won't elaborate much more than that to say, man, God's not, a, not doesn't have a hard time. When they understood and they read that she was adorned as a bride, did they think, oh yeah, a bride, yeah, she would just have burlap sacks on her when she got married. No, they understood a bride would be decked out in a beautiful way for her wedding. So God's not saying that's a bad thing, but he's talking about the context here. You know, an overemphasis on, it really is about being a distraction where you're, if you dress to attract and seduce or attract and bring all the attention to yourself and you don't want to compete with God, right? You come to church, right? He's the one that should be getting the attraction, amen? He's the one that we should be focusing on. So if someone comes in here and they're barely dressed at all or uh, in their, you know, cleavage showing and, or whatever, you know, paint any too, too clear of a picture, but... Uh, you know, or they're, they're, they're dripping with, you know, diamond-studded leather, you know. Is there diamond-studded leather? I don't even know if there's diamond-studded leather. leather. Well, I have a diamond-studded leather jacket. I just don't wear it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, diamond-studded clothes or, you know, whatever that would be like, you know, flashing the Rolex watch, cost 10000 bucks, you know, and, and dressing with all, you know. That could be a distraction, amen? And God wants us to be uh, careful. So, uh, Paul is talking about women, how they should prepare themselves to come to worship God. And that's important that we understand that. Now, also, a distraction for men. And the emphasis here is more on the riches of a lack of modesty, just, you know, dressing incredibly rich. And it could be that since the church at Ephesus, it, there would definitely be some rich women there. And some of the house churches might have been hosted by rich people who could sometimes have giant houses so they could fit more people in there. But the elite tend to dress far more richly in Ephesus than the others, and then that could become an emphasis of people feeling they were less than. It's like James talks about. There could even be bad judgment in the church where the church leaders, they see a man that's dressed richly, and they tell him to sit in the front row, brother. And he says, you become judges with evil motives. So he's addressing the motives of our hearts, you know? And we never want to be like that. Amen? As people, as Christians, as churches, you know, we all love each other. No, God doesn't look, the Bible says, at the outward appearance, right? He looks at the heart. And that's what he's really concerned about. He's concerned about our hearts. If, if people come in and they dress very provocatively, and they're saying, I want to be super attractive and seductive, you know, uh, well, that's a danger. Paul, or Jesus himself said that you can cause people to stumble, you know, radically. And a man who... Uh, now, men are responsible for their own hearts and what they look at, but also women are warned and men are warned as well not to put a stumbling block in front of people. Amen. In Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. Now, this is uh, serious stuff because Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So if you're dressing in a way that you know is, this is going to you know, affect a lot of men, men are incredibly visual. And uh, I'm not talking about just dressing normal or you know, modestly, but I'm talking about going out of your way to be seductive. That could be very, very destructive. And in Matthew 18, 6 and 7, Jesus says, Whatever caused one of these little ones to, that believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Amen? 
So we're, we're really warned to be very careful about not leading people into temptation, uh, not causing people to sin as far as being the stumbling block. Ultimately, a brother won't, can't say on Judgment Day, well, you know, Lord, that sister that came to church, you know, you know, I was abusive toward women or I, I raped a woman or whatever because that woman was very, very seductive, you know. God's not going to take that as an excuse. That man is going to answer for himself for his own sin, right? Just like the guy that rapes a woman can't say, well, it's the way she dressed, okay? Doesn't mean a woman can't cause a man to stumble. That's going to be between her and God as well. But every man, no man can say, well, it's because of how women dress. No, you need to make your heart right with God, amen? And you need to make sure that you are living for God and that you over, you, the Bible says no matter, God doesn't give us anything that's too hard to handle, amen? So men are responsible for their own eyes. And the Bible, the, you know, Job talks about how he made a covenant with his eyes. Made a covenant with his eyes that would not look on a young lady with lust. Amen? So I uh, like what David or the psalmist said in Psalm 103 that, uh, you know, I put nothing evil before my eyes. He said, I'll walk in the fear of the Lord in my home, you know. That pertains to what? Today, it's even harder for people to not put something unholy before their eyes because of the devil vision, you know, or the television, I mean, you know. Got to be very careful with what you watch. Now, it's important as well, you guys, that we understand he doesn't want the church at Ephesus to mimic the world around him. Now, a lot of the, a lot of the commentaries, you know, and I don't want to get into the minutiae, so I'll just mention this in less than maybe a minute and a half. Because of, this is what, you know, depending on the commentaries and so forth, many will say, hey, this was a church of Ephesus, and the false teachers were basically telling them it didn't matter how they dressed. They could throw modesty to the wind. They could cast it out. They didn't have to be concerned anymore because in Christ there's neither male nor female, and we're all raised up in Christ Jesus in heavenly places, you know, and so forth. And therefore, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about distinctions and so forth and dress and so forth. And that's what the false teachers may have been teaching. And then a lot of commentators will try to make strong cases for this was probably going on based on the fact that Paul is addressing false teachers and the fact that he's addressing this situation. Only problem with that is it's not clear that that's what is going on here. It's not clear, what I'm saying is, it's not clear that the false teachers were teaching them to throw caution to the wind and that you didn't have to be modest. You can't really derive that directly from the text. So I follow a very strong fundamental rule of interpretation, and that's not to go beyond what is written. You can suggest perhaps this is what was going on. But we want to be theologically precise, and we don't want to say this is what was going on. We don't know that for sure. I've seen strong arguments, uh, but at the same time, does that mean when he's saying, men, when you pray, you know, lift up holy hands without wrath and dissension, that the false teachers were telling them to pray with wrath and dissension? No, we don't know that. Nobody would suggest that. So how can we say if that probably was not the case, that the women were being taught to be immodest and so forth. We can't say that's the case. And that's why sometimes people make this more of a cultural thing. And then when that happens, there's less of an opportunity to impress uh, current application, you know, 20 centuries later. And we lose the power of the text because I believe this is incredibly relevant for us today. Because no doubt about it, it's an easier to draw a line and say, hey, yeah, the culture itself was corrupt at Ephesus. Yeah, there was a sex cult where they worshiped Artemis. Yeah, many people celebrated free sex in that culture. And that was influencing perhaps the, uh, because there were all kinds of prostitutes to Artemis and so forth. And that's probably uh, uh, 
influencing the dress of the women at the church. It's, it's, it's probably a lot better to say that that was probably what was happening. But what we do know for sure is the text tells, Paul tells Timothy, right, to instruct the women to dress modestly. And Paul tells Timothy not only that, but he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, what I've taught you, you teach other good men so they can teach other good men. Amen. And that this should be passed down because this teaching, whether it's at Ephesus or here today, 20 centuries later, is still very relevant in every brother and sister because a lot of what I'm going to say applies to brothers too. I mean, he's emphasizing the, the sisters uh, in this context because uh, that tended to be a problem. Uh, and, and that can be. Uh, p- men fall into different, pro- more problems than women in some areas. Men are more given over to unbridled lust and, and oftentimes anger, you know. Uh, sometimes, uh, but women can fall into that too. But women sometimes are more prone maybe to fall into gossip and get really tedious about relationships or they can fall more into being concerned about what they look like on the outside. So these are, uh, we have to recognize uh, these, these are uh, things that we need to all address and, and understand. And b- basically, he's telling them not to be conformed to the world, you know. Don't dress like, you know, don't try to dress like everybody else is dressing. And it's tough. I know, as, as a young father, uh, at, I met back in the day when I was a young father, you know. When I was a young father, uh, now I'm a, yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a young granddaddy, okay. <laughs> uh, when I was a young father, uh, I remember taking one of my daughters, picking her up, you know, we're, you know, we're homeschooling and everything, and sometimes they had the outsourced classes, you know, and, you know, most of the teaching was at home, but I was taking uh, one of them home, and, and I was at least asked if I could take them shopping, one of them shopping for some clothes. I said, sure, it'll be fun. Wow. I'm like, you can't wear that. A little bit later, you can't wear that. No, no, you can't wear that. And, it, and my, what the daughter that I took out was... It, in the middle of the mall, in tears. I can't wear anything, man. I'm like, oh, Lord God, you know, I'm so sorry, but you can't wear that. What can I wear? You know? So I went down to the place down the mall where they sell drapes, drapes and stuff, you know? So, uh, (laughs) no, I didn't. But I was like really struggling. I was like, what in the world? What is out there? And it's tough. And it made me realize, wow, it's so hard for Christian young ladies and Christian ladies and we could do it, though. There's a lot of clothes out there, you know, but it's hard because of what's popular. But the Bible says in Romans 12:1, I appeal to you, therefore, Paul writes, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Our bodies are supposed to belong to God, amen? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your body belongs to God. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit dwells within you, and you are not your own, but you belong to God right? You've been bought with a price. Our bodies belong to the Lord. So we dress, we should say, Lord, what should I put on your temple since we're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Amen. I mean, we're talking, if you're a Christian and you really love Jesus and that's why you're here tonight, this is what we need. This is the world. This is the biblical view we ought to have. A word view, not that's our, our worldview is a word view from God's word. And God made men and women uh, a certain way, but he also creates boundaries. So he goes on to say in chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So not supposed to be conformed to the world. As one translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And we know Satan guides a lot of the fashions of this world. It says he's a prince in the power of the air who works through the children of disobedience to guide the course of this world. 
The word course there is used of a weather vane, like on a, on, a, uh, on a farmhouse that just blows, goes whatever way the wind blows. And that's how the world is. They go with the fashions. So you got to be really careful. Well, you know, where do you draw the line? You draw a line where you make sure you're not doing evil. Amen. We make sure you're doing, you're not doing that which is contrary to Scripture. In fact, uh, well, what would dressing, how would it be to dress wrongly? Well, listen, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. Forever does these things is an abomination to the Lord our God. Does that, is that relevant today? Written 3,500 years ago. Women shouldn't go around dressing up and pretending they're men. Men ought not be going around dressing up effeminately and pretending that they're women. Okay? It's not right. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 warns about not just homosexuality and adultery, heterosexual sin, homosexual, uh, but it warns about the effeminate. And I don't have time to get into that. We did this. I probably taught on that like six months ago here where we broke down that Greek word effeminate. I used, showed you how it was used in biblical times of men that were seeking to shave themselves and look like women and, and wear makeup and things of that nature way back then. Now today, we're quickly becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah where now the government schools, many of them are trying to have transsexuals come in and entertain the children and make it look beautiful. That's from the pit of hell, you guys. That's not an accident. That's satanic, okay? And it, it's, and by the way, these kids then are like, oh, I want to be like that. that. Everybody was clapping for that person. Why? They're, being, they're parading wickedness. And then they encourage them. Some of the teachers, we know that, are encouraging children to consider getting sex changes at very young ages. And the suicide rate among those who get sex changes is higher than just about any other demographic of people, guys. It's deadly, okay? So this is very serious stuff. So we're not supposed to be conformed to the world. Romans 12, 3 goes on to say, for by the grace given me, Paul says, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So we have to make sure that we don't put ourselves higher than God, higher than his, his moral law, what he calls us to. And we don't say, hey, I don't care. Are you the kind of person like, I don't care what God says about dress. I will dress however I want. Well, then you have to ask the question, is Jesus Christ really your Lord? Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not obey what I say? If you love me, well, I love the Lord. If you love me, he said, you'll obey my commandments. Amen. And we're looking at the word of Christ, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, you know, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth and remind you what I've taught you. And what Paul's teaching here is to encourage us to walk in righteousness. Now let's look at 2.9 again. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing. Proper clothing. A lot of people read this as a pro prohibition of what you can't wear. What, what Paul is really doing is a more of an encouragement as to what you are to wear. He says to adorn yourselves how you should adorn yourselves here. And the word adorn is a very interesting Greek word there. Because it's, it, the word adorn isn't just used for putting on clothes. It has a much broader meaning. In fact, it's used, uh, we've already seen in Revelation chapter 12, or Revelation chapter 21 of the bridal city that was adorned with precious jewels. God's not against precious jewels or, or his bride wearing them or having them. Just the overemphasis on this. 
but also the word adorn is used in Mark chapter 13 of Jesus, uh, or I'm sorry, when the, uh, Jesus was being told by his disciples to check out the temple and how it's adorned by all these incredible stones and, and these votive gifts. It can be adorned that way. The word adorned is used also of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 and the scribes who were adorning the tombs of the righteous, adorning their tombs, you know. So adorned can mean to decorate. But, so God does want you to adorn yourself, but he wants you to adorn yourself properly. It's not wrong to look nice. It's not wrong, wrong to look presentable. Okay, what's wrong? In fact, God doesn't expect you. I, I'll tell you what, if you say, well, yeah, I'm going to be really humble and modest because he doesn't want us to be humble, but I'm going to be so humble, I'm going to wear a burlap bag to church. Just cut some holes in it and show how humble I am. Well, then watch out. Jesus says, you know, don't do your righteous deeds before men so they can, you know, <laughs> to be seen of men right? Because then you're in trouble the other way. And by the way, you'll become a worse distraction as bad as a gal in the thong. Uh, we're, we're both bad. Get them both out of here, man. Do counseling with both of them. Well, if you wear a burlap bag, we won't counsel you, but we'll just encourage you. Hey, bro, you might be a little bit of a distraction here or a sister, you know? Doesn't that itch too, by the way? <laughs> no, I didn't have a conversation like that. I'm just thinking of what that would be like though. Anyway, so modestly, to adorn yourself modestly. Uh, so we looked at the word adorn uh, let's look at the next part of chapter uh, 2, verse 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, modestly. Uh, with decency is another translation of that word, modestly, there. Uh, the King James has a very interesting translation here, which most don't follow, but it's actually very close to the Greek. And if you have the King James Bible, does anybody have a King James Bible? What does it say there, Jeff? Okay, you got the New King James, Old King James? Okay, because one of the King James versions, maybe it's the, uh, it says shamefacedness. Oh, with shamefacedness, okay. Right, okay, with shamefacedness, because, yeah, we're in the next word. So, yeah, with shamefacedness, modesty can be translated with shamefacedness. Okay, you have the real King James then there, bro. <laughs> uh, shamefacedness, now it's interesting because... Sometimes, you know, the NASB will have a better translation than the King James or the NIV, maybe. Yeah, sometimes the NIV. Uh, and sometimes I like the King James. And I, I, th I like the way they translate that shamefacedness there because it's like, well, wait a minute. That's so strong. I mean, it's actually what's Paul saying there? His point is very important. Shamefacedness, it's uh, the translation of the Greek word eidos, which uh, has the idea of downcast eyes. Downcast eyes. Bashfulness i.e. toward men, modesty towards God, awe, according to Strong. Has an idea of, a, of, a, of a, almost like a bashfulness, like a humility, a, a not in your face, check me out, see how hot I am, but more of a modesty and a humility. Uh, and it literally ha means, you know, to have like downcast eyes, humility, you know, not strutting and prancing and look how awesome I am. Uh, William Hendrickson, uh, in his commentary, translates it, uh, it, or says of the word, it implies, quote, a shrinking from trespassing the boundaries of propriety. Interesting. So it, it, it means to be humble, you know, not to be strutting and say, look how hot I am, but to say, praise the Lord, what an awesome God we have. It's not about me, it's about him. And by the way, women that fear and love the Lord and just love the Lord, they just shine like no other women. There's a beauty. The Bible talks about the beauty of holiness. It's a spiritual beauty, though. And, of course, there's an outward beauty, 
that becomes transcendent with the inner beauty, which is a blow mind when you think about it. Now, uh, then he goes on to say, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, right? Discreetly. Discreetly. That's uh, translated from a Greek word that we've talked about before because it's a Greek word that means soberness. Uh, and the, the word is uh, sofra, uh, safrasune, and it, it also is translated soberness. Uh, it's, and, and you just mentioned, Jeff, you have the translation sobriety for that word, which has to do with soberness. And uh, it, it means to be soberly dressed, being sober-minded when you dress yourself. You know, not outlandish, you know, not freaky, you know. Like, like Ellicott in his uh, commentary, well, the well-balanced state of mind, this word means to have a well-balanced state of mind arising from habitual self-restraint. Trench has habitual inner self-government, strong soundness of mind, self-control. Albert Barnes, moderation of the desires and passions opposed to all that is frivolous and uh, all undue excitement of the passions. You're not dressing to excite the passions. Well, what if I'm addressing, what if I'm dressing for my husband? Then dress for your husband. For your husband, not for everybody else, you know. Uh, you can dress sexy for your husband, but don't try to be seductive. Say, well, I'm dressing for my husband. Oh, but he was sick today but I want to see when I get home back. Well, you know, uh, be very, very careful. Uh, it's very important because, in other words, well, what does it mean to dress soberly? It means to not be drunk when you dress. Not literally drunk. Can you imagine what you'd be like when you got drunk when you dress? You really wouldn't care. You'd be like, you know, you'd be, you wouldn't think about propriety. You wouldn't think about sobriety. You wouldn't think about moral boundaries. You would just, you know. But you're dressing, a lot of young people dress drunk, not literally drunk, but with a drunken attitude, just, just, just free for all, man. How can I look just, you know, ostentatious and flamboyant today? Everybody wants to be flamboyant and they want to have the strange colored hairs, you know, psychedelic hair. And it's just, and think of the gay parades. It's just, it's parading self without any boundaries. And when you have no boundaries and you parade self and you put self on a parade, what happens is the focus becomes self and you end up jettisoning biblical morality and you end up doing things that are very destructive to the human body and to the family and to the culture and to the nation and to the world at large. Now, uh, chapter 2, verse 9b, the last part of that verse, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. Mm. Now, if you, have to, you want to understand why he's saying, now, I do believe he's not saying you can't ever wear any of these things or can't ever braid your hair. And the reason I'm, and I believe I'm going to be able to prove that to you in the scripture is he's putting an emphasis on what not to do and emphasizing what to do, okay? Uh, and you'll get there, you, and, it, and through the message, you'll be like, ah, oh, that makes perfect sense. I believe you'll say that because I've gone through this before as I had to address a man in the church who spoke and said every, nobody should have a ring on, da-da-da, and he quoted one of the passages like this, which we'll look at later. And I had to go fix that the next week because what he shared, I mean, one woman was crying visibly, you know, uh, and she was newer to the church, and I said, well, he's, over, he's uh, going beyond what the scriptures actually teach because there's many scriptures where I can show that you can wear a ring, you know, and that there can be jewelry. It's just supposed to be done modestly. Now, 
But we need to understand the context here. We're talking about the Greco-Roman culture of the first century. We're talking about the church at Ephesus where there's these, you know, sex, a sex cult and all this other stuff going on. And it's interesting because the women in those days, you know, they often parted their hair in the middle and they, you know, pinned their hair back and so forth. And the rich people, the elite people, starting with the imperial palace, just like people want to imitate the princess, you know, or, a, you know, whoever, you know. By the way, it's kind of interesting. The queen who died recently of, of you know, England, the, when she died, they had practiced her funeral for years. Did you know that? Like almost a decade. They practiced in some kind some place down from the palace and she wanted to make sure that people heard the scripture and the gospel of Christ was shared and I read that the gospel of Christ was shared or heard that the gospel of Christ was shared with more people through that funeral than it's ever been shared with on earth isn't that interesting so uh, it's interesting that's what our emphasis should be to put the attention on Jesus amen I know there was a lot of pageantry a lot of theater and all that stuff I didn't get to watch a lot of it you know I'd 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 see a little bit of it as I was going through my room and Lisa had it on, you know, and Lisa gets all teary over those things, you know, and, and we're talking about the gospel and how it was being preached and it's like shared. Some weird, couple weird things shared too, unfortunately, in the course of time, but a, lot, but a lot of good things, a lot of scripture was shared over and over again. And that's good because, you know, think about it, guys. We're not, you know Jesus, you're in the word, right? But the world's not used to hearing the word like that. So I praise God, at least the word was shared to a degree and may God, you know, uh, erased from the minds any wrong things that were said of people, by people. Now it's interesting, listen to what was happening in the first century as to how they were dressed by even secular writers. Uh, Juvenal, the, country, the contemporary of the Apostle Paul, he was live when Paul, look what he has a vivid description, uh, a description of the cultural trend that was going on in Paul's day. There's nothing that women will not permit herself to do. There's nothing that a woman will not permit herself to do. Nothing that she deems shameful. Isn't that interesting? Even the secular people, nothing that she does not deem shameful. Remember Paul used the word for, that's translated, uh, uh, you know, shamefacedness, meaning humility. And the culture is reeling right now at that time in Paul's day because of these cultural trends which have no shame in dress. And when she encircles her neck with green emeralds and fastens huge pearls on her elongated ears, uh, uh, sound familiar, you know? Maybe not long pearls, all these elongated ears now. So important in the business of beautification. So numerous are the tears and stories piled one on another on her head that she pays no attention to her own husband. <laughs> so it wasn't just a bun, it was a bun upon a bun upon a bun upon a bun upon a little bun. It's like a lot of time, no attention to her husband. It's all about what I look like, you know? And that's what he's concerned about, guys, you know? Uh, in a similar way, the philosopher Philo gives a description of a prostitute in his writings, which was written near the times of Paul, uh, in his writing called The Sacrifices of Cain and Abel. Quote, a prostitute, he was a Jewish uh, philosopher, historian. A prostitute is often described as having hair dressed in elaborate braids, her eyes with pencil lines, her eyebrows smothered in paint, and her expensive clothes embroidered lavishly with flowers and bracelets and necklaces of gold and jewels hanging all over her. So that's how the prostitutes dress, just, you know? And the Christian women were trying, starting to emulate the elite and the prostitutes. And Paul's saying, mm -mm, that's a distraction, man. That's a distraction. Now, 
Paul's, that's what Paul's concerned about. Now, all braids bad? I hope not. Otherwise, we're going to have to have church discipline right after church because I'm sure some of you sisters have braids. All jewelry wrong? I think everybody's going to have to be disciplined. Oh, oh, you're a brother that's married, but you don't wear a ring still? That, that might be a sign of luck not having a ring if you're married, right? Well, I don't wear it because of my job. Well, then I understand, but you got it. I'm sitting there and you're married or your sister and you're married and you can wear it. It's not a big deal. My finger's too fat. Well, get a bigger ring then, you know, or something, you know? I mean, I don't know. That's between you and God ultimately, but I could see that be kind of looked at the other way too if you don't wear a ring and you're married in our culture, you know? So it's interesting, and I bring that up because uh, I agree with Albert Barnes in his commentary. He says, it cannot be supposed that mere braiding of the hair is forbidden. And, but he's talking about it's the ostentatious focus on hair and that becomes your main focus in your life rather than Jesus. And if braiding your hair and how you dress and wearing a bunch of jewelry and clothes preoccupies all your time and you don't think about the Lord much or your husband or your life or your family, then there's a problem. Amen? So I also don't want to act as though nobody in our fellowship is overgoing, overstepping the boundary because that can happen very easily in our fellowship just that it did in the church at Ephesus, amen? So I'd be remiss if I left here saying, don't worry, everybody in our fellowship, everybody is perfect. And no, we all have to watch ourselves, amen? We all, you know, have to be careful uh, in regard to how much time we think about clothes and all those things, you know? But I want to get to the point of the extreme though, Okay? And I look around, and by the way, praise the Lord, I don't see somebody with 25 buns on their head up to the here, you know, and all that, you know, so it's going to make my job easier tonight. But uh, I will say this. I love you guys, by the way. It talks about the beauty of holiness. I love to see our fellowship. I love, I get, I get a bird's eye view, get to see a bunch of shiny faces that love Jesus. And we all get to see afterwards when people fellowship how beautiful it is, and you see the Holy Spirit at work. It's a beautiful thing. That's where the beauty is at, loving one another. Amen. Put it on love as, as your clothing, right? Vows of mercy. Put it on humility and so forth. But years and years ago, we were a small fellowship. We were very young in the Lord. And we had a Mennonite brother that came here, and he loved to come. He came for years, you know. And then he'd leave and go to another state. Then he'd come back and stay here for a while and go again. And, and, uh, but he was a plainclothes Mennonite. And they're, like, related to the Amish. And they'd all wear the same thing. And you know, clothes, you know, you wouldn't be able to see any of his arms and no rings and, you know, and, and just plain clothes. And they all dress the same. And not all Mennonites are like that, but many Mennonites dress the same. And many of the Amish, almost all the Amish, all dress pretty much the same, plain clothes, you know. And they all look the same. They wear pretty much the same attire. And, uh, and that, you know, and there's a super strong emphasis. I mean, there's a book that they go, that they have, many of the Amish, that's as big as the Bible or bigger, of all the little rules they have that you got to follow to be a Christian. And it became, it's become very, very legalistic and has gone way beyond Scripture in, in many, many ways. I'm not saying there's not some Amish and, and, or, and even many, you know, Mennonites that are born again, but many don't even know the gospel. They'll admit that among their own people. They've drifted so far into legalism. Uh, but this uh, Mennonite gentleman, who I love, you know, I hope he's, I, don't, I haven't heard from him for a year, I hope he's doing well. But his viewpoint was just real strong in this area. And we used to have a share time at the beginning of a service. When we were smaller, it was a lot easier to do that, uh, just as the service is beginning. And he shared where he felt that everybody should not wear rings and, you know, everybody should dress like he did pretty much, you know, and uh, so forth. And, and uh, be going there for some time, but I guess he looked at that as his moment to share. Stephen Kerr, were you guys there at that time yet? You're already there. You remember that? 
Sure, were you the one that was crying and ran out? No, you weren't. That was another sister. She didn't run out. Another sister was crying. By the way, it's uh, good to see Peggy over there. It wasn't her. Mom, where's mom? There you are. This is my mom and Peggy from Idaho. Kenny came. Is Kenny around? I saw him last Wednesday. Was it Wednesday or Sunday? I saw him Sunday. Uh, they're all out from Idaho, so it's great to see you guys. We love you guys. Uh, I think I said last time I'm seeing more, Joe Pirro way more since he moved to Idaho than I did before he you know, moved to Idaho. He's out here all the time. Uh, so, and it's great having you stay at our house, Mom. So, uh, but a sister just kind of freaked, like, because she was newer, and she's probably envisioned herself wearing that guy's clothes, you know, or something, you know. And I was like, you know, I'm going re- I'm, I'm to go into this next week. I'm going to have to address this next week. It's probably the longest message I'd ever preached in my life, as far as on a Sunday morning, the next week, if not the longest one. It was the longest at that point. Because I had to dress, dress and clothing. And go to 1 Peter 3, because this is, I think, one of the verses he brought up. And I'll show you my counter to it. After the service is over, he goes, he came up to me, he goes, were you addressing, were you talking to me when you were saying all that? Well, I go, well, I was addressing what you brought up last week. I had to, you know. Uh, but let's look at verse, chapter 3, verse 2. It's very similar to 1, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. By the way, uh, note again here, the emphasis is on the behavior. We're going to see that when we go back to 1 Timothy as well. It has to do with women that make a claim to godliness, and they should be adorning themselves with good works, it says. And that's what Peter's talking about here as well. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. In fact, when you look at the word adorn that we looked at, some understand that word to mean adorn yourself properly would mean respectfully, which is proper or modest. And as they adorn your respectful behavior. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says to believers, or to Timothy, watch your life or your behavior and your doctrine. In so doing, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. What two things are we supposed to watch? Our behavior and our what? Doctrine. Notice what's put first there. I believe it's put first there by way of priority. We should be watching our behavior because we've got to make sure we're repentant in our hearts, right? We're right with God. But you don't emphasize one and not the other, but you also, you also need to watch your doctrine, amen? That's why we emphasize behavior and doctrine in this fellowship so much. But notice he says in verse 3 in First Peter, your adornment, and this is the verse that he read, your adornment must not be merely what? External, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. Notice the emphasis is what you're supposed to wear, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Wow. For in this way, former times, or in this way in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Now it's interesting because in verse 3, notice what he says, your adornment must not merely be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. Now you can say, how could he use that? It says merely, should not merely be the braiding of the hair, you know, and and gold jewelry and stuff like that. I mean, not just that, but the word merely isn't in the Greek. You notice if you have a, 
my, my NSB has it italicized, and that's signifying, hey, this isn't in the Greek. So if you were to read it, and, and Jeff, you don't have the word merely in the King James, right? It just says, don't, it just sounds like what we read in Timothy, right? Just kind of flat out, boom, don't wear this stuff. So in verse 3, now really put your thinking cap on in Jesus, right? Discernment, right? Your adornment, now I'm going to skip the word merely, okay? Your adornment must not be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. So guess what? It's saying, hey, doesn't say merely. It just says, you know, your adornment must not be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. And his argument was like, look, it says not to, you know, put on gold jewelry and, you know, not to braid your hair. And, and you say, but it says, why do they put merely in there? Because it understands the translation. We don't always get, and, and, I, and I'd prefer the word merely not to be in the NASB actually. Because now they're trying to help the person understand what's often used Hebrew idioms from actually way back in the Old Testament, that these are expressions where it says not to do one, but it doesn't mean absolutely it, to emphasize the other. How do we know it's an idiom? That's saying not to do one, meaning not, but to merely not do it. Don't just to let it not merely be that, but to emphasize the other. Well, when you know it's a, and let me give you an example. You know it's an idiom, an expression, if there's other expressions that are similar throughout the scripture, and if the statement is absurd on its face. You really want to try to understand this. If it's absurd on its face, and it contradicts other scriptures. I'll give you some examples. And this is what I did when I was preaching, and uh, is how this is a, an idiom is when Jesus said, don't work for the meat that perishes, but work for the meat which is eternal. Did Jesus mean not to work for meat at all? Did he? I'm going to go. I, I got to bring the groceries home. No, Jesus said not to work for meat that perishes, brother. Is that what he meant? No, he's putting a de-emphasis on working for the meat to make sure that what? We're seeking that which is eternal. Amen? Or how about when the apostle John says, don't love in word, but love in deed. Does that mean we're not supposed to love with our words? The Bible says, speak the truth in love. Amen? Amen? So he says, don't love in word, but in deed. Does that mean the brother's counseling and doing marriage counseling, and the brother's giving his wife tongue lashings and using bad language and abusive speech? And I say, hey, bro, the Bible says, speak in love to your brother. And he says, hey, John said, don't love in word, Joe. I'm obeying him. Would that be right? No, because he's not saying, absolutely, don't use your words to love, but love just indeed. No, he's saying, hey, don't merely love with your words, but what? Make the emphasis your deeds. Practice what you preach. Amen? And how do we know those would both be wrongly translated, or I should say wrongly understood? Because they would contradict all these other scriptures, and we would be missing the fact that the scripture uses Hebrew idioms. And what I did in that study that next week, and as this new pastor, I went through all kinds of idioms and expressions throughout the Old Testament and the New. I probably used like 20 of them or something, 15 or 20 of them, to prove my point. And how I can show you that this cannot mean in an absolute sense not to <laughs> do these things at all. There's a clue right in the verse. Look at verse 3. Because keep in mind, Mennonite and Amish women, they all wear what? Dresses. Look at verse 3. Your adornment must, I'm going to skip the word merely now. 
Your adornment must not be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. That would mean the Amish and Mennonites could not wear dresses. If he meant that literally, absolute, don't wear dresses at all, period. Oh, but the Greek word doesn't mean dresses, Joe. It means apparel, clothes. That would be even worse. We'd all be naked today at the service. That would be disgusting. Contradict, I mean, we'd all be carded. Guy, this mess got to get over because, man, you know. So we know it would be absurd to take it as though you can't wear any jewelry at all or any braid any hair. Because then also, if you're going to take it in the absolute sense, then what? Then you also have to run around naked, which is unbiblical because I can show you a lot of the passages that say you should be wearing some clothes. God even gave the first couple after they sent some clothes. Amen. So hence the reason the translators put the word merely there in the NASB. They're, they're saying that's basically what he's saying. And I agree. Yeah. I just like to not put words in. I like to study it and come to my own conclusions. But I'm not against that either. I'm just because I agree with it in that case. But sometimes you got to be careful. Amen. So is Peter saying not to wear clothes? Yes or no? Yes or no? Is Peter saying not to wear clothes? No. Then he's also not saying not to wear, not to what? That you can never what? Wear jewelry or braid your hair. However, what he is saying though, is that those things should not be the emphasis in your life as a Christian. Amen. Are you with me? Let's not lose what he is saying though. He's saying the emphasis should be a quiet and gentle spirit before the Lord. Adorning, spending more time looking at the mirror of God's word. The Bible calls God's word a mirror because we reflects our us, we see ourselves and we see how we need to become like Jesus. And as we read his word and we pray and we seek him according to his word, the Holy Spirit transforms us and we become more and more like Jesus. Amen, inwardly. And one day we'll be conformed to him outwardly as we're resurrected. Amen. But we should be spending more time in the mirror of his word than the mirror that reflects our physical countenance. Are you with me? Okay, let's meditate on his word more throughout the day and think about his word and read his word and study it, you know, more than you look in the mirror at yourself. Amen? Plus, it's safer driving down the road, looking at yourself. This guy could be really dangerous. So this is very interesting, though. Did you follow this so far? Okay. By the way, the men that couldn't come up and he couldn't overcome what I taught because it was there in the scripture. And he basically agreed with me, you know. Well, no, I see what you're saying, you know. I go, well, praise God, you know. It was a trip. He, he left and he was like throwing off his plain clothes. I'm like, no, wait till you're, you know. No, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. So now let's look at verse 10. But rather by means of good works, okay, your adornment should be what? Good works. Sisters, brothers too, this applies to all of us in some ways. We all should be adorned with good works. So it should start from within that our hearts reflect the glory of the Lord that we bow down our hearts before the Lord and that we encourage uh, the Lord or we are encouraged by the Lord to walk in humility with love and to have a, a quiet and meek spirit, a humble spirit before him. But Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 2, some words that I think are just, let's read verses 9 and 10 together now so we get the flow. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls and costly garments, but rather by means of good works. By means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. I mean, if you're claiming to follow the Lord, you're claiming to be a follower of Christ, good works 
are your proper clothing. In other words, you should be adorning yourself by your focus should be doing things for the Lord. A right heart before him, amen, and serving him, doing things for his glory. I praise God when I see uh, sisters and brothers step up and they just say, hey, how can I be helpful? How can I be a blessing? How can I serve the Lord? Jesus says it's better to give than to receive, amen. There's so much joy in serving Christ. It's when you're not serving Christ and you're doing your own thing that you become, you know, self-absorbed and, and depressed and down. But man, there's great joy in serving Christ and praise God. God, when you're among brothers and sisters, there's always needs that pop up where you can see how you can be, make yourself available and so forth. Remember, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we talk about how we're not saved by these good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, but we're saved by grace through faith, amen, that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. So we don't get saved by doing good works because no works could ever save us, you know. And Islam, it teaches that, you know, your good works and your bad works will be put on a scale and there's two angels that follow you around all your life. And there's one angel that records all the good things you do. Another angel records all the bad things you do. And then on judgment day, when you're resurrected, your good and bad works are put on a scale and whichever one outweighs the other, if the bad ones outweigh the good ones a little bit, man, you go to hell. If your good works outweigh your bad works, you go to heaven. Well, that's a scam. Because the Bible says all of our works before the Lord are like filthy rags, amen, before we come to know Jesus. And any good works we do after we know Jesus are done with a right heart. Uh, those are only a result of being saved, not to get saved, amen. Because the Bible says that we're justified by faith and not by works, amen. We're made right with God by faith, uh, not by works of righteousness that we've done. And, but however, after we get saved, verses 2, 8, and 9, by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves give to God, not of works of most. Verse 10 goes on to say, and verse 10 is important, that we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, amen? Okay, we've been created in Christ Jesus, we're his poema, right? That word's translated poem. Some say that means we're God's poem. Well, we're actually far more than God's poem. We're magnificent, fearfully and wonderfully made works of his, of his creation, and we're created for good works. So God created us to do a lot of good works. I praise God, man, that our, we have such a beautiful worship team. They came up here. I think there were like seven of you up here. And guess what? They take time out to say, hey, how can we glorify the Lord? How can we use the gifts that God has live, given us to, to, to bless the Lord and bring attraction to him, amen, and bring glory to him? People all throughout the fellowship that are serving right now, right now they're having a youth party. There's people that take their time to do good works, to bless the young people. There's children's church going on right now, you know. Uh, there's people that I just saw got up that I think are associated with the children's church to take care of whatever, make sure things are flowing well or whatever. Uh, there's, in all of you, so many of you, I mean all of us to one degree or another, as Christians, we're supposed to be doing good works that glorify God. In fact, it's interesting because the book of Titus emphasizes good works. And Titus is a lot like First and Second Timothy. It's a pastoral epistle written not to Timothy, but from Paul to Titus. And guess what he tells the older women? Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. So the women are supposed to not be addicted to much wine, but teach what is good, not gossips, but reverent. They can urge, then they can, listen to this, verse 4, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. 
So the older women are supposed to be teaching the younger women. Amen? It doesn't mean, man, well, I've been, I'm not old yet. I'm only whatever age. And, but if you've been a Christian for 10 years, you're older in Christ. If you've been a Christian for 5 or 10 years, you're older than a new Christian sister, and you must encourage her to live a righteous life. And that might mean saying, hey, you know what? You know, uh, might be, be encouraging her in regard to her dress, you know? I mean, you've got to be careful about that and prayerful, you know? But older women you, 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 that have been in the Lord for some time, and you could be 25 and be an older woman in the Lord because you've been in the Lord for 10 years, and somebody else is a newbie. But you should first and foremost, and by the way, we've got to be careful because sometimes women will become too picky on other sisters, and they'll condemn a sister because she's wearing the same thing that that sister is wearing, but because of the way she's built or whatever, she looks differently in it and becomes a bad girl because she's dressed and other women are wearing the same exact thing. So you got to be very careful that, I've seen that happen, actually, I had to deal with that. I was like, wow, these guys are all wearing kind of the same thing, but they, this girl, you know, they're having a hard time with or whatever. So you got to be careful with that, but you have to, it starts by being an example, amen? As, as older women in the Lord, you just be an example, you know, of, to dress beautiful. To me, the most, to me, modestly dressed women are the most beautiful women, honestly. No doubt about it. To me, I feel bad for women that think they have to show cleavage and whatever else to get attention. I'm just like, honestly, like, oh, Lord, please help her, you know? Just, it doesn't, for me, and maybe that's because I'm a Christian man, but it's just not like, oh, that's sexy. To me, it's like, ah, oh, you know? Lord, help that gal. Because she's shortchanging herself. She needs to realize that she's a temple of the Holy Spirit and that she could cause someone possibly to stumble. You know, so we got to be careful. But when Paul encourages them to teach the younger women, look at what he emphasizes and how he emphasizes good works in Titus. In chapter 1, verse 16, he talks about those who profess to know him, but by their works, they deny him. So you can profess to know Christ, but if you don't have any good works, you're not doing anything to glorify Jesus in your works, you're, you, you end up denying him. In Titus 2, 7, it says, in all this, he says, in all things, showing yourself at, to be a pattern for or of good works. And that's right after he tells women to teach the older women to teach younger women. To show yourself as a pattern for good works by being an example. Titus 2.14 and it speaks of Jesus, how he purified for himself his own special people. Zealous for good works. He purified us, man. We're so happy he made us right. So now guess what? We want to do good works to glorify the one who saved us. Amen? In Titus 3.1 it says to obey, to be ready for every good work. Titus 3.8, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Uh, and Titus 3.14, and let the people who learn to, maintain, learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. So works have to do with fruitfulness. Titus, uh, I'm sorry. Notice all the scriptures. Why such an emphasis on good works to that church? Because pa Paul talks about that church or the Cretans there and those who had influenced uh, those where Titus is, how they are just gluttons and lazy. The culture, that was the culture there. And he didn't want that culture to influence. So he doesn't deal with dress so much with Titus. Where Titus is, what Titus's church happens to be going through at that time as much as laziness. So but Paul to Timothy says the adornment for women. Sisters, are you catching this? Be busy for God doing wonderful things for him. And I'm blown away by the sisters in this fellowship. Busy for Jesus. It's just awesome to see. Busy for the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. That's heavy. 
Proverbs 31.10, listen how it describes a woman who's not focused on good works, but focused on self. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. 31.30, I'm sorry. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. Proverbs 31.21 says, strength, now this is the Proverbs 31 woman a little bit later, or, or a little bit earlier, says strength and dignity are her clothing. What's her clothing? Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. Wow. A woman who doesn't have strength and dignity, who lives for herself and is all about focusing on herself. Proverbs 11.22 says this. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. A woman could look really beautiful, but if she doesn't have discretion, she doesn't have discernment, and she's just a blabbermouth and says ungodly things and full of gossip and just, you know, too much wine and things like that. Well, and just, you know, she's like a gold ring in a pig's snout. What does that mean? It says she's a beautiful woman. Well, the gold ring's beautiful, but it becomes disgusting in a pig's snout. It becomes wasted beauty. Are you with me? Don't waste your beauty. Use it for God's glory. When people look at you, point them to Jesus, and that'll be the most beautiful thing. And guess what? God is making everything beautiful in his time, including you and the bride of Christ. Chapter 19, verses 7 and 8, when the bride of Christ is ready at the end of the tribulation, in chapter 19, right before Christ comes, it says, his wife was, uh, made, made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Isn't that heavy? So she's ordained, and, ordained I mean, just... Fine linen, man, bright and clean. Just, and the word bright means radiant. That's what the bride of Christ will look like. And the, bright, and, the, and the bright, fine linen, what is it? It's the righteous acts of the saints. The, it's the rewards for the things that you've done for Jesus. And it's very interesting to me now how there's this comparison of what we wear to what we do for the Lord. Let's be busy for Jesus. And the busier you are for Jesus, the more you will shine for him in, in the kingdom. How do I know that? Read Daniel chapter 12, the first few verses. It's really clear. It says, those who lead many to righteousness and those who have insight, they'll shine like the stars forever. You see the same thing in Matthew chapter 13. For all believers are going to shine like the sun because we're going to radiate Christ, reflect his glory. Amen? So we want to make sure that that last part of chapter 2, verse 10 but rather by means, this is how she should adorn herself, verse 10, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. If you're claiming to be a Christian, it's proper for you to adorn yourself with good works. Not to think, how do I look all the time, but think, how could I serve God more? How could I help? What needs are needed in the local fellowship that God has placed me? How could I be a blessing if there's an urgent need, I see how can I, while there's somebody in dire straits, maybe myself and some other sisters and brothers could band together to help them, you know. Or maybe it's a small need and I know about it and I can help out in some way. Amen. So it's important that we get all this. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so, whatever, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Amen. So... How do you apply this to your life, man? Well, we've talked a lot about what to do, but you need to remember that you are God's handiwork. 
You need, if you're a mother, you need, and you know, dad, you need to teach your daughters that they are God's handiwork. Amen. Ephesians 2.10. We are his. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Amen. You make them, let them know who they are. Teach them who they are. Don't ask yourself when you get dressed and you're getting ready for church, how can I look very attractive and seductive? What can I wear to look most attractive and seductive and attract people to what I'm wearing and, and accentuate my body and, and really look hot? Don't ask. You're asking the wrong question. You say, how should I dress to go to fellowship and glorify God? Amen. How can I dress to attract people to Jesus? Amen. To just shine for him and just live for him. Amen. That's the question we ought to be asking ourselves. Again, we don't want to compete with the Lord and we don't want to distract people from the presence of God and from the worshiping the Lord. Amen. And to, from learning about the Lord and so forth. So it's very, very important that we understand this. You know, there's a saying right now, facts before feelings, right? And it's a saying that's kind of counterculture, counter to the woke crowd who just wants to do whatever they feel and whatever you feel is right. And how you feel is so destructive. Ask a serial killer if it's, he'll say, yeah, well, I just felt like eating that person. You know, feelings can be horrible. Feelings can lead you in all kinds of sin. Well, I feel like I'm this today, or I feel like I'm that, and I feel like I'm an animal, or I feel like I'm the opposite sex now. I feel Facts before feelings. But you know what? Another saying I like better that I was thinking about, you know what a better saying would be? Biblical standards before feelings. Amen? Biblical standards before feelings. Well, I feel like I want to wear this, and I want God to tell me what I, I'm going to go out. You know, biblical standards before your feelings, amen? Because if we're following the Lord, we need to put him first, amen? And we want to do what's right, and we want to glorify him and live for him. So I want to encourage you to apply this by putting God's standards and applying them to your lives above what you feel, you know? I mean, there's some people that just feel like running around naked. They're called streakers. That's not meeting God's biblical standards. There was a guy that visited this church off and on that was streaking. Okay? I'm not going to make a joke about that. That's a true story, but I'm not going to get into it. I mean, he visited here and there. He wasn't walking with Jesus. We were trying to reach him for Jesus and found out he ended up being a Simi Valley streaker. Glad he never did it in the church. Thank the Lord. So anyway, we need to, uh, you know... Go the extra mile. Pray about these things. Amen. We need to hate sin enough. We need to hate sin enough to be careful how, you know, sisters, young brothers, brothers too, you know, we all need to make sure we're careful, but uh, to one degree or another, but you want to make sure that you're dressing for God. Amen. And you're putting on love and compassion. You're putting on the armor of God, amen. You're putting on, as a Proverbs 31 woman, strength and dignity, amen. That you're, 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 you're having a, a gentle spirit about yourself, amen. And focus on those things, amen. Could we do that? And you know what? This is great. I'm, I'm glad maybe, maybe because I thought maybe it's cooling off because everybody's so modestly dressed tonight. But it's not cooling off. It's hot today. So you guys are just doing really good, you know. But he's good, Amen. So let's keep loving each other. Let's keep growing together. I could have just skipped these verses and just read them real quick and said, let's get into women pastors and whether it's biblical or not, which is next week. I thought, no, I want to go through these two verses. I don't even know if I've, how, I haven't taught a modesty uh, in some time. Actually, I haven't done a whole message on it like this for a while. So I felt it's important. It's needed, you know. And by the way, if you're struggling with someone and they're new in the church and they've been here for a while and you're like, man, they got 25 piles of buns on their head and they're not getting it. You know, you can give them this message. 
Then when they get to this part, they just heard me say that, they'll say, oh, that's why they gave it to me. I gotta chop some of my buns down. Okay, anyway, ultimately it's between you and the Lord, how you dress, you know, but you wanna conform to biblical standards. We don't have a very specific line. Okay, you have 17 and a half buns, you're one half bun too much, you know. We don't wanna go around being nitpicky like that. Sometimes though, you just, when you see immodesty, sometimes you just know it, right? And it becomes a collective thing. So, but we don't have a bunch of nitpicky sin sniffers in the fellowship, you know. Uh, but at the same time, we want to make sure we try to maintain a godly standard. Amen. Praise God. I love you guys, and I have to preach this way because I love you guys. Let's, let's cry. Let's all stand. Father God, we thank.